Cairo, Seattle. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, actor Keiko Agena. Keiko is best known for playing Lane Kim on The Gilmore Girls. She was Rory Gilmore's best friend, and now she has a new book out called No Mistakes, a workbook for imperfect artists. Keiko grew up in Hawaii, specifically on Oahu. So this will be Your Last Meal's first Hawaiian food episode. I feel like that deserves some applause and laughter. (laughs) Please keep listening. We are the annoying ones, but Keiko talking about Hawaiian food is charming. Spam. Oh, I love Spam. Me too. Spam gets a bad name, but you know, Spam Musubi is delicious. No, I had a lot of that growing up too. Obviously, we're going to learn the history of America's favorite canned, pre-cooked luncheon meat product. That's actually what they call it on the website. From Spam's brand manager, Brian Lillis. The people of Hawaii consume more than 7 million cans every year. They, they definitely lead the country in per capita consumption. It's just become a, a huge part of their culture. Guys, I hope you're hungry. Because this episode comes with two scoops of rice and a scoop of mac salad. Because we're talking about two Hawaiian dishes that you can find virtually everywhere on the islands. Plate lunch and loco moco. What is loco moco, you ask? I'll tell you later. I'm busy. (laughs) But right now, my conversation with Keiko. Okay, so I came very late to the Gilmore Girls party. I didn't watch it when it was on the air. I started renting it from my local video store, and it became my comfort food TV. This was a show that I could watch over and over and over again. Uh, Same, just like Sex in the City. And so sometimes I put on an episode, and I clean my house, and I have it in the background, and I don't even have to look at it because I know exactly what's happening. So... I had to talk to Keiko about the show just a little bit. Something that I just okay. read that I didn't know about was that you were 27 years old when the show started. You were playing a 16-year-old. Did you have to tap crazy, into... Crazy, isn't it? That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it says something about your beautiful young looks, but also like... Right. I know. How did Baby you face. tap into yes. being a teen again when you were a full-on adult? I know. Well, you know, the funny, the thing, I think it's always easier to play younger, even if we can look the part, because we've already had that experience. So we know what it's like to be a teenager. We know what it's like to be frustrated with your parents because they don't understand you or see, see the person that you are and trying to establish that independence. To be honest, I kind of was going through that anyway, still at 26. But, um, but I think it's easier to, to play someone younger than it is maybe to play someone older than you, where I, you haven't had those experiences and you just kind of have to uh, sort of imagine what that might be like. And food was a big part of the show, which I loved as someone who oh, loves food. Oh my um, you know, right. from Lorelai right. and Rory, just eating constantly needing <laughs> junk food. Yeah. And then your yeah. character who grew up with this mom who <laughs> wanted to cook super healthy foods that you were not into and you were always right. going over to Lorelai and Rory's house to, to indulge in their junk food. Did you have any of that in your right. life? Were there foods that you would, you know, eat at your friends' houses that your parents wouldn't let you eat? What was it like for you growing up? What were you eating at your house and, and what were you trying to escape? Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, I'll be honest. My food history growing up with my family was um, a fast food based. I would say we had, we grew up kind of McDonald's, Taco Bell. Birthdays were always Pizza Hut. Um, I think at home we had a hamburger helper a lot. Oh, a staple of ours was a tuna and rice. So you cook a pot of rice and you have um, a tuna fish and you put it in there with soy sauce. Does that sound weird? But we ate a lot of that. I would still eat a bowl of tuna and rice. I would eat it too. Sure. I will say, look, because, oh, my mom's going to hate this, but, you know, I'm answering honestly, but our oven didn't work. So we never used our oven. So that's interesting, though. So oh, you were okay. kind of living the Lorelei, Rory food dream life that oh, like a goodness, lot of us, yes. you know, I always wanted McDonald's. Oh. Did you love eating that way? Or were you kind of like, oh, I could kind of use a salad, mom. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I didn't, as a kid, you don't think about it. Or at least I didn't think about it so much as a kid. I think as an adult, I went, how am I still alive? So maybe my eating habits now are probably a little bit of a rebellion against the food that I grew up with then. Hmm. It's possible. That is possible. Like I mentioned, Keiko grew up in Hawaii. So she ate a lot of plate lunch, which is basically the Hawaiian version of the American South's meat and three. It consists of an entree, something like chicken katsu, kalua pork, kalbi ribs, or garlic shrimp. And then you get two scoops of rice and a scoop of mac salad. And these are perfect little domes of carbs delivered to the plate from an ice cream scoop. Oh, I dream about that mac salad. Yeah, it was so much mayo. It's basically mostly a mayo ball with like a few. It's so much mayo. I love it. Uh, like the, the Korean fast food or like zippies. Why do I always talk about fast food? But yeah, um, <laughs> uh, Hawaiian Hawaiian dishes for sure. All, all that growing up. Spam. Oh, I love Spam. Me too. Spam's best. Spam gets a bad name, yeah. but you know, like Spam Masubi yes. is delicious. No, I had a lot of that growing up too. So let's talk about your last meal. What would you choose to eat if you had one meal left? Well, I know what it would be, and uh, it does include spam. I would have uh, rice, um, that mac salad I talked about. I would have crispy spam on it. I would have egg. Um, you know what? I think I might do a lo- part of it like a loco moco too. Do you know what a loco moco is? I do. Yeah. Will you describe you, it though? Oh yes. Yes. So, so a loco moco, I'm, I'm adding the spam, the woco spam, but a loco moco is rice with, um, a hamburger patty <laughs> with lots of gravy on it and with a fried egg on top. Um, yeah. And a side of Mac salad usually is, uh, is a loco moco. And I definitely would have that. Yes. With the, um, ketchup. So catch, it sounds insane, but it's ketchup and uh, soy sauce. So all of that loveliness would definitely be my last meal for sure. Why would that be your last meal? Oh, because besides the fact that it is so tasty, it reminds me of home and I don't eat any meat right now. I mean, right now I actually am a very like vegetarian-ish person. So I think if, hey, if it's my last meal, um, I'm going to just go for it. So I would definitely have that. Is there a place to get good Hawaiian food where you live now? Do you live in LA? I hope not. I hope there is not a place for me to get good Hawaiian. I didn't because I try to avoid it. It's like such an Achilles heel. But I but I do know I, there there are some places um like a L&L barbecue. Yeah, uh, I do know that there are a few places around. Yeah, so L&L is pretty solid. You can get some Hawaiian food there. The kind of Hawaiian food that Keiko craves is pure comfort food. 
just like the Gilmore Girls is for me. Uh, Isn't it just so nice to wrap things up with a little bow? After this break, we're going to learn how a hamburger patty found its way onto a bowl of rice and got completely drowned in gravy. We're going to do that with two Hawaiian food history buffs. Aloha! Keiko Agena wants classic Hawaiian food for her last meal. Loco mocha with fried spam and mac salad, heavy on the mayonnaise. And to help us out with some of the history is Hawaii native Hi'ile Hobart. She has a PhD in food studies from NYU, and she did her dissertation on Hawaiian food and history. All right, so first up, Loco Moco. So Loco Moco is a dish that is typically consumed at breakfast, but not always. It is this gigantic, sloppy, delicious amalgamation of food traditions that came out of Hawaii and also some American influences, too. So it is usually two scoops of white rice with a hamburger patty on top, smothered in gravy and topped with a fried egg. There are lots of variations. It's so delicious, but I always need a nap right after. You know what that's called in Hawaii? That is called a kanak attack. Oh, really? A kanak attack? What does that mean? Which is basically a Hawaiian food coma. I also spoke with Hawaiian food and travel writer Ligaya Malonis. She helps Hi'ile tell the origin story of Loco Moco. Its roots are based in Hilo and Hawaii Island, um, also known as the Big Island to most people. And there's a little bit of a dispute on which restaurant originated the Loco Moco. Um, some people say it was the Lincoln Grill. Some people say it was Cafe 100. And the local legend goes that a group of teenagers entered a cafe um, in, in the 1940s. These boys asked the owners of the restaurant to make them something to eat that they could afford. These young local sports players who were obviously always famished uh, went into one of these dining establishments one morning and said, you know, make me something like this that isn't a sandwich, that isn't a standard American breakfast that will fill us up. And as far as where the name came from, supposedly Loco was the nickname of one of the boys. Loco in several different languages is the word for crazy, but people in Hawaii will also use Loco. And so apparently they just thought that Moco sounded fun with it. So that part was kind of made up. One quick note, the original Loco Moco did not have a fried egg on top. That came later. And Cafe 100, which is either one of the first or the very first Loco Moco restaurants, opened in 1946, and they are still open. And they serve 13 versions of Loco Moco. And if you're looking for a cheap meal, this is the place to go. So if you want just the original version with rice, a hamburger patty and gravy, that is $3.95 still in 2018. They also have variations like a Spam Loco, a Bacon Loco, a Salmon Loco. 13 ways to put yourself into a loco food coma. They are great for hangovers. And I would suspect that that may be one of the many, many reasons why they have continued to flourish. Modern Hawaiian food is an amalgamation of many different cultures because immigrants came to Hawaii from many places around the world to work at the booming pineapple and sugar plantations. So, of course, they brought their cuisines with them. And we have these laborers to thank for the plate lunch. 
which goes all the way back to the 1880s. So they had huge waves of immigrants coming in from China, Japan, Portugal, the Philippines, Polynesia, you name it, which means that it ended up being this incredible multicultural society. And the plate lunch, people kind of conject, came out of sugar plantation workers having to sit down for lunch during the middle of the day. They're bringing their home lunch and they come with their lunch pails, which are called cow-cow tins, which are multi-layered lunch pails. And I don't know if you've seen, you know, the Japanese lunch pails that you can get. So they kind of screw on top of each other. And so you can put your rice on the bottom and on the maybe second or third layer, you can put a meat or a vegetable or something like that. And so these plantation workers would sit down for lunch and kind of pass around their particular dish. And everybody would take a little and share a little. Local cuisine developed out of this kind of sharing what you've got as you took your break uh, from your very hard manual labor during the day. People often compare the plate lunch to the development of language in Hawaii as well. So you can think about pidgin as Hawaii's kind of Creole language. It pulls words from all of these different places and brings them together in this mishmash of how people can learn how to communicate to each other across cultural lines, across political lines, and across ethnic lines. According to Eater, by the 1930s, lunch wagons started popping up at these work sites. So instead of bringing those bento boxes, a lot of the workers started buying their lunch. And these lunches were served on those compartmentalized paper plates which is why it's called a plate lunch. And then 20 years later, the plantation era ended in the 1950s. But this plate lunch had already caught on. So it continues to be served at food trucks, roadside stands, hole-in-the-wall restaurants. And if you want to try President Barack Obama's favorite plate lunch, go to the Rainbow Drive-In in Honolulu. This is a famous place. They've been serving up plate lunch and Locomoco since 1961. And I went to the website and I saw that they have specials every day. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the special of the day at the Rainbow Drive-In is called Spaghetti with Wiener. It is a plate lunch that is comprised of a messy pile of spaghetti with meat sauce. And then there's a big old hot dog thrown on top. And of course, right next to it, all cozied up, are the two scoops of rice and a scoop of mac salad. It's like David Chang's thing, Ugly Delicious. This is, I don't know, Trashy Delicious, Stoner Delicious. I would eat this delicious. So is a loco moco considered a plate lunch because it has the scoops of rice? Mm, no, no. A plate lunch, <laughs> no. A plate lunch is typically lunch and loco moco is typically breakfast, but also um, plate lunch doesn't come stacked the way that loco moco comes stacked. So even though they are at first blush a bit similar, they do have these distinguishing characteristics that make a locomoco not quite a plate lunch, but many plate lunch places, I think, would certainly serve a locomoco. Hi'ile says there is a difference between Hawaiian food and local food. Hawaiian food comes out of native Hawaiian food traditions and local food comes out of multicultural traditions uh, emerging from the plantation economy. So one is a lot more ancient and one is a lot more um, modern. Okay, so what's an example of a Hawaiian food? Well, um, you have poi, you have lomi salmon, poke is right in there, pipicaula, which is kind of like beef jerky. Let's see, lao lao, which is steamed taro leaves uh, that are wrapped around a piece of fish or a piece of pork. I love that dish. 
It is so good. It is so good. Okay, so it's kind of easy to determine then. Like anything that has Mac salad on it is more local. I'm getting it. I have only been to Hawaii once, which is seems like a crime. Everybody in Seattle goes to Hawaii. It seems like every year. I feel like such an outcast. Uh, I went by accident. I accidentally had a layover that I didn't know I was going to have. So I was in Honolulu for less than 24 hours. That was just enough time to stuff my face with Lao Lao. Super delicious. I found this little hole in the wall restaurant. Uh, but next month, I am taking an on-purpose trip to Hawaii for the first time. I'm going to Maui with my mom. Uh, so I'm looking for recommendations. If you have ideas on good places to eat in Maui, I am looking for a good shrimp truck. I want little hole-in-the-wall places. I want to know like local favorite spots. So if you have an idea, go to my Instagram page, Your Last Meal Podcast, and send me a message. Okay, enough about me. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, as promised, the history of Spam. You guys, I don't want to brag, but (laughs) I have judged the Great American Spam Championship at the Washington State Fair in Puyallup. Not once, but twice. So if you want to walk right into a living Christopher Guest mockumentary, uh, I suggest you go to a county fair anywhere you live. I'm sure it's the same way. And go to one of the cooking competitions. You will meet some people. You will have some conversations. And these are people I never met in my daily life. I mean, even just go to like where they're doing like the jam competition. But the spam one brings out interesting people. So I was bummed because I was told that the year before I got to judge, somebody made a spam castle and then they made a moat out of blue jello and then suspended in the moat were goldfish crackers. But mostly I ate a bunch of what people called spam roll-ups, which is like spam rolled up in a tortilla. Uh, People made sweet and sour savory spam cream puffs. I had chorizo spam and sweet potato Spanish bites. And the winner, one of the years that I judged, was sweet and spicy spam turnovers. This was pineapple jelly, onions, and spam, cream cheese, all baked in puff pastry. It is horrific and delicious and weird and one of the best experiences of my life. Spam is an iconic American product. That's why people are able to turn it into whatever they want. That's what we do here in America. We bastardize everything. And whether or not you've eaten Spam, I'm pretty sure you can probably picture the logo right now. The blue can with the big yellow letters. Spam was started just a short 81 years ago, back in 1937. Um, The president at the time was looking for a way to be able to create a affordable canned luncheon meat product. Uh, for consumers or an affordable protein. And so they came up with the idea of Spam. And what is Spam exactly? Spam is, is really just a few simple ingredients. It's got pork, ham, salt, water, potato starch, sugar, and sodium nitrite, which that sodium nitrite really helps to preserve the, the pink color and help to preserve the meat. That's Brian Lillis. He is Spam's brand manager over at Hormel. And according to the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America... The hope was that Spam would help with pork shoulder sales, because at the time that was not a popular cut. And boy, did it ever help with sales. In its 81-year history, over 8 billion cans of Spam have been sold. Spam's popularity surged after World War II. Spam played a crucial role overseas. So allied forces that were fighting in Europe 
With those forces, Hormel Foods at the time actually provided 15 million cans of food to the troops each week. And so spam immediately became a constant part of the soldiers' diets and, and was actually, it earned a lot of praise for feeding the starving British and Soviet armies as well um, during that time frame. Oh, let's talk about the name. Is spam an acronym? Where did the name come from? You know, that's actually part of the lore of the brand itself. Um, nobody <laughs> that, that I can find since I've been working on the brand knows exactly, but there was a gentleman that um, at a Christmas party in 1936, there was a contest held, and a gentleman by the name of Kenneth Dagono was the lucky gentleman to win $100 for his suggestion of the name Spam. There's some speculation where he came up with it. Some say it was inspired by taking, you know, the first two letters of spice and the last two letters of ham and combining it. However, this has never actually been confirmed. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the Internet speculates that SPAM is an acronym that stands for Specially Processed American Meat or Specially Processed Army Meat. Here in the continental United States, I think that there is a stigma attached to spam in some communities. So I grew up in the suburbs in the Bay Area. I never ate spam. I never had spam at anyone's house. I never saw anyone else eating spam. I always kind of thought of it. I don't even know how to describe it. I didn't look down on it, but I thought of it as like a joke for some reason. Like it just seemed like a joke food uh, and almost an art piece. There's something very... Uh, what's his name? The uh, pop artist, the Andy Warhol. Yeah, there's something very Andy Warhol about the can of spam. But as an adult, I discovered spam masubi, which is basically like spam sushi. They take a piece of spam, they kind of baste it with some delicious sauce, they put it on a little nub of rice, and then they tie it together with a strip of nori. I am a fan of spam now because of that dish. And in Hawaii, spam is everywhere, even at McDonald's. For breakfast, you can get a plate of rice, fried Spam, and scrambled eggs at McDonald's. And Brian says Spam sandwiches were what were really popular back in the day, and they're still popular now. He says Spam and eggs are popular, but I tend to like the more Asian cuisine-oriented uses of Spam, like Spam fried rice, as I mentioned, Spam musubi. And I'm pretty sure that there is some Spam hot dish going on because Minnesota is the home of Spam. Well, I don't know. I don't know how familiar you are with Austin, Minnesota, Spam Town, USA, as it's been called for a long time. We actually opened up a a brand new Spam museum right down on Main Street in Austin. I can tell you that we've actually had a Spam wedding at the Spam museum last year. We had a gentleman who had legally changed his name to include the words "I love Spam" in the middle. What? And as <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. And so when they approached us about use, utilizing the, the museum as a wedding site, we said, if anybody, it should be this person. Okay, so I need details. How did the spam integrate itself into this wedding? Well, we had ourselves a spam minister, so someone that officiated the wedding. We had spamples, where we had different dishes of spam that were served. Did they incorporate it into their clothing? And their attire, yes. There was a spam tie worn by the groom. Flowers themselves of the bouquet were made out of labels from the cans. Is, was this all him, or did he happen to meet a woman who's just as obsessed with spam as he is? Uh, he happened to meet a woman, and it was actually her idea. And she was the one that came to us and said, um, I'd like to surprise my husband with the idea of coming to the museum, having our wedding there. And then as a part of it, uh, from a honeymoon perspective, we actually sent them out to Oahu, Hawaii, for an annual event that happens out there that is called Spam Jam. 
And this festival is a one-day festival that happens right on the streets of Waikiki where they celebrate all things Spam. All right, so that concludes the Spam portion of this episode of Your Last Meal. Let's get back to Keiko. Keiko says that she is trying to be more mindful about eating. And when I've interviewed mindful eating experts in the past, what they say is that you really need to pay attention and focus on the food. You shouldn't watch TV when you eat. You shouldn't listen to a podcast. They say don't even read the back of the cereal box. You should just really be enjoying your meal and focusing on the flavors. That will make the meal more satisfying to you. But Keiko has one vice that gets in the way of pure mindful eating. First of all, I consume like an inordinate amount of television. I'm a t- I love television. But now I, I'm in the, in the habit of I always, um, I want to watch something on TV, but I also want to watch something that has to do something with food so that it sort of entices my appetite while I'm eating. What are your favorite shows? Yeah, so well, I will say, I'm not an expert in a lot of things, but I'm an expert in this certain genre of television, and it is this. The reality television cooking competition show genre, I have watched every single show that is in that genre. I love it. So when you say you're an expert, that means you're an expert at watching the shows? Yes, I'm an expert <laughs> in consuming the media that is God, that genre. So good at it. I can't, I've never had I'm really good interviewing at it. someone who is so good at watching yeah. TV before. Well, That's so great. There, yeah, 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 I am. And that was Keiko again as last meal. Check out her new book. It's called No Mistakes, a workbook for imperfect artists. This is a book for artists of all sorts, from musicians to actors to visual artists, for people in all stages of their career, people who are trying to make art their career. And Keiko says that artists go through a lot of psychological blocks, thinking that you're not good enough, coming up with excuses for why you can't produce art. So it's an activity book with coloring and writing prompts that will inspire you to grow and be more creative. The good part of my brain that has all the good, smart, healing, wonderful, gentle thoughts. That part wrote this book addressed to the other part of my brain that is very, very critical and hard on myself and uh, has to be encouraged to come out of its hiding place when it's feeling shut down. Thanks to Hi'ile Hobart and Lagaya Malonis for their Hawaiian food history knowledge. Thanks to Brian Lillis from Spam. Technically, he works for Hormel, but he is most certainly Hormel Spam Man. This show was produced by Aaron Mason and me. Aaron Mason, welcome back from the desert. You were in Burning Man. Yes. At Burning Man. At. Grammar is important. (laughs) Um, And so in the past, you told me that you really love eating pickles out in the desert. Yes. Because they're so cool and crisp and and just like hydrating. What were some of the best things you ate this year? Because it's, can you kind of explain to people who don't understand, you have to bring everything with you? You bring absolutely everything with you. You're out there in the desert. You're up all night. You work all day. And you just want things that are going to be easy, salty, so you can retain your your water that you drink. And uh, there happen to be a lot of camps that go where their whole gift, because it's a it's a giving economy, their whole gift is food. So there's a place like Midnight Poutine, where Ooh. every midnight you can go and these French Canadians are whipping up like some of the best poutine you've ever had. But the, the secret weapon is a cup of noodles. Oh. It's one step. You just stick some hot water in it, let it sit, and that's not anything I would ever eat at home. But out there, it's like everyone's food number one. I think Spam would actually work perfectly at Burning Man. It would be excellent. Put some Spam in your cup of noodle. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah. Little cup noodle with Spam? I'm telling you, man. You're changing the game, Rage. Well, I got this from Hormel's Spam Man. That's not true, but whatever. Well, we're happy to have you back. Thanks for coming back and not leaving us and going to the <laughs> desert forever. Theme music, as always, by Prom Queen. And if you live in the Seattle area, Prom Queen stars in and wrote all the music for the latest burlesque cabaret show at the Can Can, which is a really cool place in Pike Place Market. It's called Femme Fatale, and it wraps up at the end of the month. So go see it. I did. I loved it. And tell your friends about the podcast. You can do that by leaving a review on iTunes. That lets a lot of people know what you think about the podcast. Make sure and subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Your Last Meal Podcast. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Your Last Meal.